right? Uh, yeah, so, so less responsibilities as a child, right? And, but I heard somebody say no, why not? Okay. Yep. Yeah. A lot of potentials for foolish choices as children that, that we may not want to take a second chance on. Here's maybe one more reason why not. If you'd put the first slide I had. When you say child, I say little, not teen years or anything like that. Yeah. No. No. That's fine. That's fine. This uh, first slide. Uh, maybe, if we get it on. I'm sorry? Okay. All right. Okay, yeah, the question, by the way, that we're discussing is, would you like to be a child again? Would you like to be a child again? Yeah, I've seen a number of hands say yes. Uh, you know, here's maybe why you'd consider no. Now, some of you may have forgotten this. Uh, we still have children, and uh, our children don't really rule their own lives. Our children don't, are not really in charge. Uh, as their parents, we provide them with directions, and the directions are non-negotiable. Uh, here's an example of uh, directions for my youngest, uh, Ben. Uh, in the morning, there are certain things he needs to do. And he literally needs to check it off to show he did it. Uh, so we, as his parents, uh, know that he read and attempted to follow the instructions. I mean, some of them are very standard, so things that you're doing perhaps without thinking about. Uh, but uh, the fact of the matter, as a child, you're not free. You're not free. Uh, you are under your parents' rule, and you have to do what they want you to uh, do. You may have to go to bed at 8 o'clock, right? I don't know if any of you remember what, what was uh, the time you had to go to bed when you were a child. Uh, you, you're not allowed to be on, your, on TV or your phone or iPad except at designated times. Um, you have to eat your vegetables. You know, those things that, that you have to do as a child that you may be happy you don't have to do anymore. And maybe just the very fact that you are uh, your own master uh, as opposed to somebody else's, uh, under somebody else's authority uh, every hour of the day, in fact, uh, might itself be a measure of relief. Anyways, just kind of warming us up as we're looking at today's passage. Uh, we are studying the Gospel to the Galatians, and today we're starting chapter 4. We made it halfway through this epistle, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. As we remind ourselves, as we've been going through this epistle, it was written by Paul to counter a particular danger that the Galatians have come under, and that was the danger of false teachers. We call this specific group of false teachers Judaizers because they were teaching the Gentiles that they had to become Jews. They had to obey the law of Moses if they wanted to be saved, to enjoy the blessings of Christ. Paul is countering that teaching in this epistle. Uh, he has previously pointed out that Christ has delivered us from the curse of the law, from the curse of the law, that being the judgment. The law carries a curse with it against those who fail to keep it, and that curse is God's judgment against them. And he has already pointed out that we are not under God's judgment. Christ uh, has become, has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. However, there's another aspect of the law from which we have to be saved. We have a hint of that in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4. Paul explains in that verse why he had to go to Jerusalem when this false teaching first arose encounter this false teaching in Jerusalem. And he explains it this way, Galatians 2.4, and this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. The uh, Gentiles enjoyed liberty, meaning... Uh, they received the salvation of God, but they were not told they had to keep the law. So they had liberty. They were free to worship God as they were led by the Holy Spirit. They didn't have to obey all the commandments of the law. Well, these Judaizers came in, were told by secret, and observed this liberty with the purpose of bringing the Gentiles into bondage. They pointed out to them, that the Old Testament was filled with commandments, and how could they, as having come into the grace of the God of Israel, uh, be exempt from keeping these laws? And so they were attempting to put these laws, this bondage, on the Gentiles. In the passage today, Paul will counter that argument. They claim that as Gentiles... Uh, you or, or we as, as Jews who have been saved by Christ are still under the law. He starts with this illustration in verse 1. Now I say that the heir, 
as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So he's bringing an example that perhaps would have been more common in those days than it is today. But uh, as a master of a great house, uh, you wouldn't have to tell your children what to do. You would have slaves that would do that. And the slaves could have different positions. They could be governors or they could be stewards. But basically, the child was their responsibility. And they had to tell the child what to do. They had to train the child so that they would become a responsible adult. That's the same thing we have to do as parents. As we look at these children that God gave us, uh, we are responsible to raise them to the point where they are responsible, will be responsible uh, members of our society. They would uh, clean behind their ears and brush their teeth and do all the things that people have to do to be presentable and welcome in our society. In those days, they, they had slaves or servants that would occupy that job of training your child. What Paul is saying, that child was no better than a slave. Right? He had people telling him all day long what he had to do. Uh, then he compares that to, um, to the Jews. He says, even so we, and Paul will usually use the term we to apply to himself and other Jews, ideally believing Jews, uh, but uh, Jews as opposed to Gentiles. And he'll use the term you to refer to believers, uh, perhaps especially Gentile believers, but all believers. So there's a little bit of an overlap between the we and you that can make it a little bit confusing. But when he says we here, it means we as Jews, ideally now saved and believing Jews. But in the past, even so we, uh, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So we as Jews, you could think of us as heirs of a great house because we are heirs of the promises of God. The Jews had expectation of God's blessings. But uh, they were like uh, slaves. They were in bondage to the law. They had to do all the things that the law commanded them. Now, someone has counted in uh, the, the Bible, in the books of the law, the books of Moses, all the laws that God gives to the children of Israel, and they counted 613. I didn't count them myself, but this is the number reported by those who cared to count all, the, all these laws. And try to, to place yourself back there as a Jew and realizing you are responsible to keep all these commandments because as Jews, they really were. Right? These were the commandments God gave them, and they had to keep all these commandments. Now, I will not read to you all 613 laws, because that would take the rest of the hour. I just picked 20. These are roughly like number 65 to number 85. I skipped a few and, and grabbed a few from the continuing list to try to make these laws that are relatively applicable to everyone. Some commands were to specific groups of people. These are commands that I believe applied more or less to all Israelites. So again, this is just a small sample. This represents about 3% of the laws they were given. Okay, uh, one, men must not shave the hair off the sides of their head, right? So, you know, I've just violated the law. 
right, by, by being shaved. Uh, men must not shave their beards with a razor. Men must not wear women's clothing. Women must not wear men's clothing. Uh, you're not allowed to tattoo your skin. You're not allowed to tear your skin as an act of mourning. Uh, you're not allowed to make a bald spot as an act of mourning. Uh, you have to. So you have two kinds of laws. You have the laws, things that you must not do. Then you have laws of things you have to do. Right? Uh, you have to repent and confess wrongdoings. Whenever you do something wrong, you have to go and confess it uh, to God. Uh, you have to say the Shema twice daily. The Shema is uh, the uh, line where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart. You have to say it twice a day. Uh, you have to serve God with daily prayers. So there were certain prayers you had to say every day. Uh, you had to wear uh, phylacteries on the head. Uh, this is... Uh, comes from where God says they're supposed to bind the word of God, right? You know, as, as frontlets on your eyes. And then you also had to do it on your body. You had to have the word of God and you had to put it on your head. You had to put it on your hands. Um, you had to put a, uh, a mezuzah on each doorpost, meaning you had to have the word of God written on your doorpost. Uh, each male... Uh, would have to write a Torah scroll. So you have to have your, your own copy of, of the law. You have to write it out. Um, you have to uh, have uh, a tzitzit on your garments. That means that your garments had to have uh, something kind of special on the bottom, these kind of knots that are tied. Uh, you had to bless God after eating. So after every meal, you had to thank God for your meal. You had to circumcise all your males, all, all your male children. Had to be circumcised on the eighth day. You have to rest on the seventh day. So the Sabbath, which is Saturday, you have to rest. You're not allowed to do any kind of work. Uh, you're not allowed uh, to, I already said, you're not allowed to do work on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to walk beyond a certain distance on the Sabbath. Okay, I'll stop there. But you're getting the idea. There's, there were these, a, a lot of laws right, that the Jews had to keep. They couldn't order their own life, kind of like children. Right? You had this long list from your parents, from your teachers, of what you have to do. You're not really free. Right? You have to observe all these laws. They controlled every aspect of your life. Right? So in that sense, the Jews were under bondage. They were like slaves uh, to the law. Right, now, Paul says, uh, he has an uh, interesting way of saying it. He says that um, we were under bondage under the elements of the world. Why, why is being under the law being under the elements of the world? I think there's a hint of why in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle 
which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So what he's saying, a lot of these laws concern physical things that are part of the world. Now, we know that God is spiritual, right? And he wants us to be spiritual, to care about things that have a spiritual value. A lot of the things in the law did not have a spiritual value. They were purely physical. Like, you know, putting the word of God on your head. That's purely a physical action, right? Now, ideally, God's intention was that, you know, they will think about his word. They will value his word. But a lot of the commandments, you could boil them down to physical action that you did that had no direct spiritual value. And that's why Paul said that they were under bondage to the elements of the world. Okay. Now, praise God, he didn't leave us in the state. He didn't leave the Jews in that state. It, it, it all was to change, right? But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So, in the case of this Greek of this Greek or Roman child, right, that was being raised by the slaves, there was a time set by the father after which he would no longer be after them. He would become a free son, a son that didn't have to take orders from the slaves or anybody else. He was now free to do as he wished. Uh, same in our society. I can tell my children what to do until the age of 18. At the age of 18, According to our, the laws of the state, my child can walk out the door, see a dad, and I'm free. Now, they can choose to remain in my household, and they will be, to some extent, under my law, because, you know, I can say, this is my house, these are my rules. You know, if you don't like my rules, you may leave the house, right? So as long as they're staying, they're still under some measure of authority by mine, by me, but... You know, technically at 18, they're free. They're free to live, free to do as they wish. Uh, and sometimes uh, in those days, it was a time appointed by the father. So the father could have called the time. But the main point is there is a transition into freedom. And Paul applies that transition here to the Jews. There is a point after which the Jews became free. When did that happen? He says, but when the fullness of the time had come. What is the fullness of the time that Paul is referring to? Uh, there's different thoughts, and perhaps all of them could be true. We don't have to exclude one uh, in case of the other. Uh, first of all, it was the time that God has said. God had a planned timetable. Uh, he knew when he was planning to set the Jews free from the law. And we could go back to the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, about 500 years before the time of Christ, God specifically said there's 70 weeks that still need to be accomplished. And if you study that prophecy very carefully, it predicts exactly the time that Christ was going to come. So, so the fullness of the time, well, the time that God planned to set the Jews free from the law. Okay. Second, you could say, well, it was the time when the Jews were ready to be set free from the law. So when you have a child, 
Ideally, the age of 18 as set by the law, the time set by the father, corresponds to a certain maturity level. Your child has gone through the exercise of brushing their teeth and washing behind their ears, and now they understand this is important. And now you can set them free. Right? I don't have to tell you what to do because you know what to do. Right? You've matured, you've reached the point that you no longer need instruction from your parents, and you can act in a mature, dependable way. Right? And so the Jews have been through a certain program that God has run them through. He has given them the law, and they had to obey the law for something like 1,500 years. They found that they were not able to obey the law, and God judged them for not keeping the law. So they're understanding God's holiness, they're understanding God's righteousness, and they understand, you know, you know most of all, they need a Savior. They need someone to come and save them from their sins. And so they're ready. The time is now prepared. The Jews are actually called a people prepared for the Lord. God has been preparing them all this time to reveal his salvation in Christ, which will include being delivered from being under bondage to the law. Right? And so the fullness of the time had come. Finally, some people will point to the fact that conditions were just right on the face of the earth. Uh, the Greek Empire has come, Alexander has, the Great has swept through the region, and under his influence, uh, Greek has become a common language over a very wide region of the earth, right? all the way from India to uh, Spain, North Africa to Northern Europe. There was a large area where perhaps Greek would be understood because of the influence of Alexander. And uh, second, the Roman Empire, following the, the time of Alexander, has come, and they brought with them what's called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And uh, there's roads everywhere, and it's easy to travel, and you could say the world is ripe for the gospel, right? The gospel can come and can travel and expand in ways that it, it could not have had before this time, right? So we can say the fullness of the time had come for God to set his people free from the yoke of the law, because the Savior has come. Okay, uh, next, he describes here uh, Christ as the one who will deliver Israel from the yoke of bondage to the law. It says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Uh, I... I uh, work for a company called LumiLeds. I've mentioned it uh, to most of you uh, in the past. And uh, occasionally they'll hire somebody new. And the new person they hire is, is going to be a pretty high-level manager. So automatically, you know, there's going to be a large number of people reporting to him. And uh, they may not have known this guy was coming. You know, all of a sudden, you know, he was installed by the CEO or the VP in his position. And people need to understand who he is, so when they get an email or a call from him or they see him and he asks for something, they know, yes, this is a person that's been entrusted to this responsibility, and so you should give them your support. Uh, and they will often send out an email, so there'll be this announcement, you know, you'll wake up in the morning, there's this email, oh, so-and-so has been hired for this position. And they'll usually give a number of qualifications. They'll say, oh, we've hired him from Oracle. He had this high responsibility there. He did a great job there, and that's why we hired him. Right? He has proven capabilities to do the job 
that we've been hired him to do. And this list can be looked at as kind of like that. God is telling us who has freed the Jews from the bondage of the law, yoke of bondage, and, and so he lists his credentials. He is son of God. He was born of a woman. He was born under the law. These are all qualifications enabling Christ to do what he was sent to do, and that is deliver us from bondage to the law. So we want to just stop and think about this qualification. First of all, Jesus is his son. Jesus is the son of God. And uh, people often have confusion over what it means to be the son of God. And uh, over the years, in fact, a lot of attacks came, false teachers came into the church with uh, certain ideas of who Jesus was that were not accurate. And so the church had to convene and come up with very clear statements about who Jesus was. So there'll be no doubt, you know, among anyone who confesses to be a Christian, just who Jesus is. And they had this uh, meeting in Nicaea and uh, came up with what call, is called the Nicaean Creed. And this is what they said about Jesus. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds or eons, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. So this is who Jesus is, very God of very God. So when we say Son of God, we mean nothing short of God. How is that as credentials to release us from bondage to the law? That's a pretty good credential. Uh, second, he was born of a woman, right? And often we'll use that to recognize that Jesus had a human nature. He was truly a man, even while being truly God. Why is it so important that Jesus was a man? Hebrews 2.14 and 15 explains to us, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to to bondage. So why did Jesus become a man? So he could die. Right? Only man could die. Angels can't die. Right? God can't die. But, but people can. Humans can die. We have the ability of dying. And Jesus became a man so that he could die because his death was necessary for us to be released from the bondage to the law. And we'll, I'll get into that in more detail in a second. All right, and then finally, he was born under the law. So he was born as a Jew, and as a Jew, he came under the responsibility of the law. As God gave the law to Moses, and the law hasn't yet been removed, Jesus being born as a Jew was fully responsible to keep the law as a Jew. And that becomes important because it allows him to perfectly fulfill the law. Right? Gentiles couldn't fulfill the law because the law wasn't given to them. Right? But Jesus actually had a responsibility to fulfill the law in life and 
if found as a sinner, which he wasn't, right, by death, right? He would be responsible to die if he was associated with sin, which he became with our sin, right? And so he fulfilled the law in life and he fulfilled the law in death. And so it was necessary that, that uh, as a qualification for being the redeemer, to redeem us from the law, he had to be born under the law. Okay. How did he redeem us from the law? We have an illustration for that in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 and verse 1. Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. He says, Oh, do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. That's a relatively simple statement. And basically what it says, the law only has rule over you as long as you're alive. If uh, Matt uh, was a Jew born in those times, he would be responsible to keep the law until he was dead then he doesn't have to keep the law anymore. That makes sense? Okay. That's all that Paul is saying. The law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. And then he gives an illustration that might seem like a strange illustration, but we'll, we'll stick with it. Uh, for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called, called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Okay, so here's the illustration. And we get a slide. Man and woman get married. They're now husband and wife. Can that woman just decide, uh, you know, I'll you know, spend tonight with you, and tomorrow I'm going to spend with another man, and the day after that with another man? No, not, not according to the law. Not according to the law. She, she must, she must be faithful to her husband. For how long? Until he dies. Right? And that's why, you know, in at least the old-fashioned uh, covenant, you would say, till death does us part. There was a recognition that you were only obligated to be faithful to your husband as long as he lives. If your husband dies, let's say, you know, you're walking out uh, of the ceremony and somehow he gets struck by a lightning bolt, you lose your husband, you know, granted you'll be sad, you know, and we'll all be sad with you, uh, but, you know, are you then not allowed to marry anyone for the rest of your life? No. You're free to marry. You're free to marry. I imagine you take your time. <laughs> but, uh, but you're free. So the, the, the whole point here is, is there's, a, there's laws that are applicable, but then something happens and they're no longer applicable. Right? That's similar to the law of death. You know, the law applies to a person as long as a person lives, if a person dies, that law no longer applies to them. Right? It, just, it shows that, that laws are not forever. Right? They, they only apply within a certain jurisdiction. Okay, now 
the passage continues saying, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. And this is perhaps the most difficult point to understand, but also uh, the most important as far as understanding how is it that I become free from the law. And it's connected to the illustration I gave uh, last week about the fact that we are connected to Christ. Remember I had that picture of the vineyard and the branches and uh, all of them uh, were connected uh, to, uh, to the vine, right? The vine being Christ and we are all the branches and we're all connected to him and all of our blessings really flow to us from that union with Christ. But the important thing to realize is that we really are one with Christ. We're connected to him, right? This is, this is something that's real, and it happens when we get saved, right? We become vitally connected to Christ. Now, what happened to Christ? Well, Christ died as a consequence of being under the law and having our sins laid upon him. Right? Now, that's something that Jesus did. When Jesus was dead, did the law have any more jurisdiction on Christ? No. He was dead, right? And the account was paid in full. Now, that happened to you and to me when we were saved because we were placed in Christ. And so, we died to the law. As far as the law is concerned, you are dead. You died, right? It happened in Christ. So you didn't experience that death. Jesus experienced that death on the cross. But all the same, as far as the law is concerned, Noad Shapiro is dead. May he rest in peace. <laughs> right? And, and, and the law has nothing more to say to me. It doesn't care about me. Right? I have passed beyond its jurisdiction. Let me try one more illustration. I don't know how many of you read this in the news, uh, but there was a young lady from Saudi Arabia, and uh, according to her, uh, she was in an abusive you know, family, you know, and I don't know that that's true. Uh, her father denies it, right? But uh, she fled. She managed to catch a flight. I think her family from Saudi Arabia was visiting Kuwait. She somehow managed to get on a plane from Kuwait to Thailand. And uh, Thailand says, you know, where are your papers showing that you're allowed to be here? And she said, uh, I'm fleeing from my family. I'm fleeing from my family. And uh, in Saudi Arabia, there's a law, right? that says a female is not allowed to travel alone. She must travel with a male, you know, guardian, a husband or father or brother. And uh, so if she was still in Saudi Arabia, uh, by the way, the reason she's wearing a shirt saying Canada is Thailand didn't want her. And uh, the UN basically said, okay, some country has to take her in, and Canada said, sure, we'll take her in. So, you know, yay to the Canadians. <laughs> uh, but uh, so her family, if she was in Saudi Arabia, her family could, could say, you know, look, uh, this is our girl. According to the law of Saudi Arabia, she has to be with us. You know, give her back to us. And Saudi Arabia 
you know, would give her back, right, to her family. But she is outside of the jurisdiction of Saudi Arabia. So her parents can go to the police station and say, give us back our daughter, and Saudi Arabia would say, you know, we can't. She is outside of our jurisdiction, right? We have no power over her. In a similar way, when you were saved, you became outside of the jurisdiction of the law because you died to the law in Christ. It has nothing to say to you. Now, you could go back to the law and say, I would like to know what the law said. And you might find in the law a lot of things that you think are useful, right? And say, oh, you know, the law, among other things, said you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? And it has a lot of other commandments that are very useful, and we might want to do those things, but you don't have to obey the law, right? Most importantly, you don't have to obey the law to be right with God. Right? The law has no power over you. You're not under its jurisdiction. Okay. Uh, instead, Christ gives us something else in this passage. Okay? Uh, so we read, we were reading verse 4. Let me go ahead back to the beginning of it. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So God took out the law as our relationship with him. So in a sense, we were married to the law, our relate to God, through the law, I should say. The law was our way of being right with God. Now God has taken us out of that, and instead we're married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Our relationship with God is through Christ. Right? He forms, he forms the... Uh, grounds of our relationship with God. He died for our sins and he rose from the dead. And by faith in him, right, we become united to him. And that is our, our means of, or through which our relationship with God goes. It goes through Christ. We've, we've been married to another, to him who rose from the dead. And he continues and says, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at works in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So he speaks here about the, the spirit uh, of God. Let's use that as a transition back to Galatians chapter 4, where he uh, also transitions to the Holy Spirit in verse 6. And he says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So before that, we related to God through the law. We served God out of fear of the consequence of breaking the law. Well, now we are related to God through Christ, and we have received the Holy Spirit that gives in our hearts love toward God. So in the Old Testament, 
They had to serve God out of fear of the consequence. They were like this child with this list of rules and thinking, what will happen if I don't follow these rules when my parent shows up and checks to see how well I did? Right? Instead, we're given the spirit of love, which is wanting to serve God out of love. The spirit comes into our heart and we cry out, Abba. The word Abba means daddy in Hebrew. God gives us love for him. We have a new motive. We don't need to serve God out of fear. We serve him out of love. We realize that we're fully free. All our sins are forgiven, right? Christ is in heaven preparing a home for us. And uh, he's coming back one day to take us back to be with him uh, forever and ever. There is nothing to fear but now there is love in our hearts, implanted by the Holy Spirit. And I want to do those things that please God out of love for Him, and not out of fear of consequence, which is what we had under the law. And then in uh, the last portion of Romans 7, 6, so that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The, the law was rigid, right? Uh, our list of rules to our children was rigid. It said, you need to do this, 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 and that. And our children might sit there and say, you know what? You know, something happened uh, that, you know, makes these rules no longer uh, the best thing to do. Uh, the dishes are actually dirty. They're not clean. I, I shouldn't pull them out of the dishwasher and put them in the closet. Well, but the, the law says, mommy's and daddy's rule says, take the dishes out of the dishwasher, right? And put them in the closet. You know, it puts them in trouble, right? A Jew may have said, well, you know, my, my uh, sister is sick and she is more than the distance allowed by the law to travel on the Sabbath. I'm stuck, you know, I have to keep the law and as a result, I can't come to my sister's help. The law was rigid, right? That's what it means by the oldness of the letter. Whereas the spirit is, is new, right? It, it's flexible, right? Uh, the spirit leads me and it will show me what is the best thing for me to do. Uh, it could be that uh, there's a good reason for uh, me to wear women's clothes because it's a way to get into uh, a place where uh, girls are being abused and I'll have a chance to pull them out and to save them out of that situation. Right? There's all kinds of things that, uh, that the law may not account for. Right? And, and you and me, because we, we have the Spirit of God and can serve God out of love as he leads us. We don't have a rigid law that is forcing us. Uh, we're in a, in a new uh, area. We can serve God out of love, in flexibility, by the leading of the Spirit, not with uh, oldness or rigidness or a, uh, a way that doesn't make sense to us. Right? We, we can really serve God out of love in a way that makes sense, in a way that he leads us to do. Right? We're in a completely different department than the Jews were when they were under the law. Okay. Um, 
Finally, in verse 7 in our passage says, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. It's notable to me that this is a warning that's uh, written to believers, not just here, but in other places in the scripture, the danger of falling again under the law. And I know that's true in my own life. I can become legalistic. I can say, okay, in order to uh, please God, uh, I need to be doing uh, these things. I have to read my Bible in the morning uh, for at least, you know, 15 minutes, and then I have to pray for at least 15 minutes, and then, you know, I have to do this. I can, I can bring all these laws into my life and try to please God by keeping these laws. And what I find is I lose the freshness of the relationship that God wants me to have with him. Uh, I, I am serving God again somehow out of fear instead of out of love. Uh, God doesn't want us to be slaves, right? He doesn't want us to serve him out of fear. He wants us to be uh, children of love. I have a, a picture that I was trying to capture uh, that image with. But children don't have to obey their parents out of fear. Uh, they can enjoy uh, helping their parents and, and the things that their parents need help with. Right? And uh, that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. He wants to, to be with us. He made us for a relationship with him. He, he saved us to be his sons. He didn't want a bunch of slaves serving him either on earth or in heaven. He wanted sons, right? He wanted people to have this relationship uh, with. I was thinking of the Lord Jesus as uh, he is spoken of in uh, Psalm 40, verse 8. Jesus says, uh, Then I said, Behold, I come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Jesus never did anything by compulsion. Everything he did for the Father was out of a heart of pure love for God. And then as the Father looked down at him, at his baptism and later on the mountain, he could say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's the relationship, brother and sister, that God wants to have with you. It's a relationship of love, not of compulsion. Paul says to the Colossians, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward. What is the reward of being a Christian? It's being a child of God. 
and enjoying a relationship with God as his child. Don't let anyone, Paul says, cheat you of your reward by bringing laws into your life that you have to keep. Uh, don't cheat yourself, right? As I found that I have a tendency to try to legalize my action, to fall into legalism instead of enjoying my relationship with God. Yes, serve God, but only out of love, responding to his love with your love. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't want us to be burdened. He wants us to enjoy his love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love to us. We recognize that you uh, have a high calling, calling for us as your children. Lord, you want us to become like you and to do all the things that please you, and yet you made a better way than the law. You've given us your son so that we could uh, love uh, him and, uh, and enjoy his salvation. And we pray that you help us enjoy your love, serve you out of love, and be uh, dear children, imitators of God out of love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.